The following is a North Carolina Baptist resource. For more, visit ncbaptist.org. What I want to do is just kind of go over what's in the book manual here. This is a this is a kind of a digest of the whole manual. We've got a lay renewal manual that's really far more detailed than this. We designed this so we give a pastor a, a kind of a real quick way of learning a little bit about church renewal. You got a yellow page in your book? These are the six committees, and it explains how, how the church would, the, the way this operates now is, uh, understand this is a lay-led ministry. We will come to your church and do an overview and explain to you about how it's set up and what committees they are and all that kind of stuff. It's designed so the pastor is not dumped on this. Just don't come on the pastor and say, well, i got to do that. It's designed so that the lay people actually take care of it, prepare for it, and, and get, it, get it done. But this is the, the pastor would appoint a general chairperson, and the general person, chairperson would appoint six committee chairmen. We call them preparation group chairmen, okay? And each, like a spiritual growth group, is one of the uh, six groups. And the spiritual growth group, let's just say you appointed me as a spiritual growth group, then I would be responsible for recruiting the other four people that would work under my group. The idea of that is, rather than one person picking everybody out and leaving somebody out, I've got some people that probably do some things that if I ask them, that maybe somebody else asks them, they might not do. So they get a chance to kind of pick who would work with them in closeness in that, right? So that's kind of the way that's set up. We will come, if the church says, yes, we think this is right, then we'll come and actually do a training. Some, most of the time the training is on a Sunday afternoon, can be on a Saturday morning. Uh, it takes about two and a half hours, and we'll train them exactly what they do. The manual that we have that we'll email to the general chairperson has far more detail in it than this here. But this is something to give them an idea of how to get started. Okay. A lot of pastors will go say, well, we don't have a large church. Okay. One of the best renewals we ever did was up in uh, uh, Atuna, Pennsylvania. They had 12 members, right? So we just make the design. It. We bring a music leader, a youth leader, a children's leader, and a preschool leader. And, uh, and then we'll bring one adult leader for every eight adults you might think will be in that would attend, right? And that's kind of the, and we make the, we make the team list according to the size of the church, okay? Now, we did a lay renewal at First Baptist Church, Charlotte. Okay, Mark Harris is here. The pastor is here today. Uh, we took a team of 118 to that church. Now, we've got about 2,000 team members that are signed up. In fact, you can register to be a team member and go with us. And anybody, any pastor, but we've got some pastors that go with us. And, uh, and you can come and be with us Friday and Saturday and be back at your church Sunday if you like to. But uh, So we, we've got a website, churchrenewaljourney.net, and it says team member registration, and then it also has... Uh, 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 application for a renewal weekend. Okay, so that's kind of way we did. If you're interested, you can do that, or you can call me and I'll fill it out for you. Okay, so that's kind of the way you get it started. You ask for a overview first. We'll come and do the overview, and then the church decides we want to do this. Okay, then we'll uh, get it. The church will set a date, and we'll back up eight weeks from that and come train the committees. And then the committees have got eight weeks to prepare the church for the weekend. We do it through cottage prayer meeting type meetings. Uh, like we used to do for the revivals we used to do years ago when we had two and three root revivals, okay? We have a PowerPoint presentation that we use, and we, if we come, overview usually during the Sunday school hour. Uh, take about 45 minutes, and then that gives us 15 minutes of questions and answers, okay? Can be done on Wednesday night or can be done on a Sunday night. It's really not appropriate to do Sunday do worship. It's not a Sunday worship service because we want them to be able to ask questions back and forth. 
Uh, if you're interested, we'd love to come. You can go online and fill out an application. It sends it to me. There's no cost to the weekends whatsoever except the meals. And on the Friday night, there's a church-wide meal, and we suggest it be the simplest paper plates, plastic silver, and all that kind of stuff. Saturday lunch, and then uh, Saturday night is a supper, and usually it's covered dish type thing. So it's not an expense. That's the biggest expense to the church is just the meals. Most of everything else is done by downloading from the resources and uh, our email communication. And by the way, when they sign up for, to be a team member, also when they sign up, it says we want every one of our team members to have background checks. A place in the Florida called protectmyministry.com, North Carolina Baptist Men uses the same one. And they will do a background check for you, and you can pay them $10.50 or something like that. They give us a special discount on that. So anybody that comes to you, has have, they have background checks. Uh, okay. We had a renewal at Westside Baptist in uh, Red Springs, North Carolina. And Pastor Randy's here, and I asked him, I said, would you come and tell the pastors here a little bit about the preparation and the weekend that you had there? Let's take the long word in the back up. Uh, the time last, two years ago, our church was struggling, I was struggling. And I said, come together with Keith, and I said, if we don't change the way we do this, in two years we're going to close our church school. Last year's convention, our deacons had to be on Saturday morning, every Saturday morning, praying, asking God for direction. On last uh, year, in November, when we came to the convention, I came and I listened to what Bob was saying, and I carried and I presented to the deacon, and Bob and Phyllis came and presented to the church. In April, we had our late renewal. It jump-started the church. Not this coming weekend, but the next weekend, we will be having our equipment weekend, and we will learn what our spiritual uh, calling is, and we will also do our commissioning service. Tonight we had our uh, testimony, which was on Sunday night. We had 30 people in attendance, so there again, you don't have to have a large crowd. Just mm-hmm. obedient hearts, what we do the Lord God. Had 30 people show up that night. We begun at 6 o'clock. When testimonies up, when the prayer started, the testimonies, two hours and 15 minutes later, I shut it down and told them to go home. And I let myself because I was not going to spend the night with them. But we took a, a survey that night, and 100% of them said we want to go to the next step. Mm-hmm. So it will, it will jumpstart your church if it's, if it's struggling spiritually. Amen. And uh, Sunday night service in my church uh, in 1972, uh, we started at 6 o'clock. And uh, uh, we had two microphones, and we had t- church members just lined up waiting to speak and tell about what the weekend we say. What has the weekend meant to you personally and corporately to our church? I mean, what does it mean as a corporate body? They testimony after testimony after testimony. Somebody in the background hollered out, some old guy in the background hollered out, it's 945, we can't stay in here all night long. <laughs> so we stopped it in the sanctuary and picked back up in the parking lot and went to 1045. <laughs> Hugging, healing, walls coming down, people loving on each other like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And I say it's probably the closest thing to Pentecost I'll ever experience. It happens at every church we go to. Please understand, we don't bring the Holy Spirit with us. The church stirs him up in their eight weeks of preparation. He has never failed to show up in a powerful way on every weekend we've ever gone. I've got 55 letters on our website from pastor after pastor after pastor talking about what happened in their labor renewal weekend. Uh, I got one from uh, Mark Harris, pastor of First Baptist Charlotte. That's one of my favorite letters. He says, in 20 years of ministry, he said, I've never seen the Holy Spirit move in my church like he did Sunday night. 
Now, Sunday night, the team's already gone home, so the church gets to talk about all those weird people all they want to, you know, that came. But uh, it's an awesome weekend, and, and it, the purpose of it is is to get the church together. One of the questions they ask on the lay renewal uh, on Friday night, in fact, is what we do is we number off. Like, everybody sits in the same place in the sanctuary most all Sunday. And so we'll number off one, two, three, four, five, where the husbands are not with their wives. We found out if husbands and wives together, one of them will talk, but the other one won't. But if you divide them, both of them will talk. So we, we number them off. And what happens is you're in a small group of somebody that sits in the back of the auditorium that you never get. We sing these songs and go shake hands, but we never get back there. So you're in a small group that you normally don't talk with. And uh, one of the first questions they ask is the same question they asked in 1972. Friday night, if you could ask the Holy Spirit tonight to do anything at all this weekend, uh, what would you ask him to do? And what's happening is you're getting your church people to start dreaming what could, what this place could be. Uh, one of the other questions is, what would you like to see God do in your own personal life? You know, Saturday morning we have coffees in the homes. And uh, I can come to your home and spend 30 minutes and know how to more pray for you than uh, six months in the sanctuary. And we get to know each other. Saturday morning we the, the church will assign coffees in different members' homes. The team members will lead the coffee, so you don't have to worry about it. All they do is have coffee and donuts, you know, at their home. They provide that. And uh, they have a question is, when was God most real to you? What's your most vivid experience of prayer? Now, what we're doing is the, the church members are, are giving their testimony to each other that they've never done before, and they get to knowing each other and how God's worked in each other's lives. Uh, Saturday, we have a men's uh, uh, meeting and a ladies' meeting. Men's meeting, we talk about what does it mean to be the spiritual leader of your home? How is your home different than the guy across the street has the same Christmas tree you do but don't know the Lord? And uh, what does it mean to be the father of the home? And uh, I've never been in a ladies' meeting. You know what they talk about? <laughs> but the, uh, the Saturday night, we have a family prayer time, and we invite the dads to bring their families down to the altar. That is the highlight for the visiting team, uh, seeing the, all church families coming down and, and, and praying together. When they did it in my church, the first time I'd ever taken my family down to the altar as a group and prayed. And that's a powerful step in the lives of the people. So uh, uh, Sunday morning, we used to bring adults together, and uh, we'll have an explanation. And for those who weren't there, we'll ask your church members, what does anybody want? About 24, by the way, before Thursday night, before the weekend, we have a 24-hour prayer vigil where they'll actually come to the church and they'll pray for one hour. And we've got a little guide that takes them. And people say, what in the world will I do for an hour? But they'll go through that and an hour will pass so quick they don't really realize what it is. But there's a lot of prayer and preparation up for the weekend. And uh, Sunday morning, the church opens its service like it normally do. And the idea of that is so that people that come that wasn't there for the weekend won't say, who's these weird people that's running our church, you know? And uh, the pastor will turn it over to the coordinator, and the coordinator will usually close it out, you know, and then turn it back over to the pastor to close the service. So that's kind of the, the service. And then Sunday night is the highlight of the service. When the team's gone, the church comes out together and decides what is there. Okay? That's the first weekend. Okay? The first weekend is a, a awakening to the fact that God wants to do something with you as a layperson, not just your pastor, but with you. And uh, the... Usually the people get excited and say, well, what do I do now? Now, our second weekend deals with spiritual gift, giftedness. Uh, uh, Rick really teaches that for us, and Rick, Rick is one of our new teachers. Rick is an engineer, <laughs> way above our heads. <laughs> but uh, Rick has a way of teaching spiritual gifts that's unbelievable. 
and uh, he'll be coming to your church to teach. And the idea of it is, if you're excited and you're on fire, what do you do with that? Now, most of us remember when we had revivals before and the Holy Spirit came and moved powerful away in us. And then six weeks later, we're all sitting back down in the pew. Well, the idea of the church and the journey is, no, we want to go somewhere from else. So we've got a second weekend that continues. And uh, if you're excited and on fire, the probably best thing can be taught is, uh, is how has God uniquely equipped you uh, to do what he's called you to do? I'm totally convinced that our churches are full of people that have no idea what God wants them to do. And I, I don't think they've experienced the joy of saying yes to him and finding and seeing him and his Holy Spirit work through you. I think that's the greatest thing that happened in any layperson or any pastor for that matter, uh, seeing God do his work through you. And uh, uh, George Barner, a few years back, put out a survey. And, and in order to be in a survey, you had to check that you was a born-again Christian. I don't know what are the kind of Christians they are, but you had to check. And one of the questions they asked was, what is your spiritual gift? And of the thousands and thousands of born-again Christians that took the survey, less than 3% had any idea what their spiritual gift was. Now, you ask me, what's wrong with our churches today? God empowered us with supernatural abilities called spiritual gifts. And if less than 3% of us know what our gift, no wonder we're struggling. Uh, the second weekend is, how do you find these gifts? What gifts goes with what ministries and that type of thing? And uh, I'm excited about your church because your church through the first weekend got excited, got awakened. Uh, if you don't do anything with that, that'll be a great weekend. You say, man, I remember back then when we had that weekend. But if you take it to the next step, you're going to see it change your church because people are going to find where is the joy of serving God and what is it that I can do that, that serves Him and, uh, and let Him work through me to accomplish His kingdom goal. And I totally believe that when a layperson finds that, Satan has no more. He can't compare to that. Saying yes to the Holy Spirit and let Him, like him do His uh, kingdom work through you is the greatest thing that can ever happen. I don't think Satan has anything to compare with that. But I'm totally convinced that we've got churches full of people that's never experienced that. And it's hard to explain to them how that, that works. Uh, I've asked Rick if he would come and say just a little bit about the second weekend. Uh, explain a little bit about how, what his teaching is. The uh, second weekend has two different flavors. Uh, there, was, there used to be two separate weekends where you would have uh, the uh, spiritual gift type focus and then you'd have a focus on marketplace evangelism. What, did, what do you do with your spiritual gifts in your marketplace? We have now combined those two together. So, so there's two different ways to go about it, but most churches are choosing to do this combined weekend where you do both, look at both spiritual gifts and what do you do with those spiritual gifts in your marketplace? Because God has called us all to ministers, or He's brought us. I approach it from a little bit different. I, I have to have a starting point. And my starting point, I went through a real spiritual crisis where in a matter of seven months, first of all, our, I was a, uh, I was a uh, nuclear engineer was my daytime job. And on the evenings and weekends, I pastored a small church in southern Ohio. And in a matter of seven months, first of all, our son who had just graduated from the Naval Academy and was scheduled to go to seminary, become a uh, Chaplain in the Navy was murdered. Seven months later, I found out I had esophageal cancer. I was only given a 12% chance of living five years. And this last April 7th, I celebrated 20 years. 
And, uh, but I've had a whole lot of complications. And it resulted in me having to give, give up my job as an engineer and also to give up my pastorate. If you would have told me one day, our, our son was actually murdered on our wedding anniversary. One, if you, one day before our wedding anniversary, if I knew what God's will was for my life, I tell you, I knew exactly what God's will was for my life because I was living it. I was doing exactly what he wanted me to do. After that, it all changed. And I went through a struggle of what is God's will for my life. And so I decided that I would make a matter of study. I was going to read through the Bible in a year and look at what God's plan was for me. And uh, so on January 1st, I started in Genesis. And that's where it was. There's a unique passage in Genesis. It's the only place in the Bible where you actually have a divine soliloquy. You have God speaking where God is the speaker and you have God as the audience. He's speaking to himself. Only place in the Bible where I can find it. And you're, you're a builder, right? You said you were an architect type engineer. You have in your... General contractors all the time. Matter of fact, I debate whether or not I should be one or not. I'm thinking I probably should not expose myself to that liability on top of what I've already. Well, you got you got you, you have in your mind what you want this final project to be, and everything is done up to fi- to finalize what that final project is. You have in your mind what you want that project, what that that final thing to do. And when you finally build up and complete the final thing that's, that you're aiming for, then that stops the process. Well, God does the same thing in creation. He has in his mind what the end product is going to be. And what does he build just before he stops the product? Us. We're the final design. Now, he did something different with us when he created us that he didn't do with anything else he created. In that he stated what his purpose for creating us was before he created us. And he's speaking to himself. He says, let us create man in our own image. This is God speaking to himself. Let us create man in our image. God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the image that he wants to create to be his image. He creates his only triune creature. For we are body, soul, and spirit. We're the only triune creature. And we are created triune because we're to be the image of a triune God. Now, I might be a little slow on the uptake, but if God created me to be his image, what do you think his will for my life is? Why do we make it so complicated? His will for my life is to be what he created me to be. It's just that simple. So that's what I begin with, looking at that. What does that mean, to be in God's image? Well, if you look at commentaries, they make it sound like that's, that's a, you know, a, a metaphor, a, a, a description that God is talking about. Do you really think God has to use a metaphor to better explain to himself what he means? I don't think so. 
Because the same God that created the universe created the laws of physics that make the universe work. See, I actually have my degree in physics. One of the things, I, the last course I took in college was a doctorate level, doctor level course in optics. And we, just, we studied about images. There's only one purpose that an image is created. Somebody's got to see the image. If there's nobody to see the image, there's no reason to have the image. He creates Adam, but Adam isn't complete. He can be the image of God, but he's kind of useless. Who's going to see the image? Angels don't need to see the image. They see God face to face. They don't need an image. Who does he? Who's there to? Nobody until he creates Eve, another image of God. So now Eve becomes the one who can see Adam's image of God, and Adam can see easy Eve's image of God. Now they're complete. And that's what it's all about. We are the image of God, but we are useless until somebody sees that image. Uh, I don't look at that as a metaphor. I look at when God's talking about an image, he's talking about the actual scientific process of making an image. And it can be applied directly to our walk. And so that's, that's what I build in, uh, in the weekend that, that I teach. Uh, uh, one of the first steps in the process and one of the things that is so important is the distance between the image and either the reflector or lens that is going to focus the light from that object and create the image. That distance between the two is extremely critical. And it's more critical than you would think because the actual mathematical process is what they call an inverse square, which means that I start with one meter, which is basically, basically a yard. If I'm a yard away from the object, that's my starting point. If I go another yard to two yards, the intensity does not decrease by half. It decreases by two times two, one-fourth. If I go to three, it's one-ninth. Four, it's one-sixteenth. You take small changes in the distance between you and the object, and it creates huge differences in the intensity of the image that's being created. So how close do we need, as the reflectors of God's image, do we need to be to God to have the strongest image? And when we get just a little ways away, huge difference in the intensity. That's what the first weekend is about, getting us as close as we can to the image. Now we've got to do something with it. When you think about a lens or when you think about a mirror, the critical thing about that is the shape of that. And so that's what we use as an acronym in our second weekend, where S stands for spiritual gifts. H stands for a heart or passion in our ministry. A is abilities that we might have. P is personalities. And E is experiences that we might have. And it makes us unique. There's no two reflectors that God has ever created that are the same. So we all reflect a different image of God. So I tell people that if you are not reflecting the image of God, that God has created you to reflect, there's nobody else that's doing it. 
And this world is a little bit darker because you are failing to do what God created you to do. Uh, one of the things that I use throughout the weekend is uh, I talk about God's soliloquy, you know, let us make man in our own image. I use a different soliloquy throughout the weekend. And the soliloquy comes from uh, Hamlet, uh, Act 3, Scene 1, in which Hamlet says, to be or not to be, that is the question. That's the question for this weekend. Are you going to be what God created you to be? Are you going to choose not to be what God created you to be? So that's the focus on the question. Simply to be what God created you to be. To be His lens, His reflector, to reflect His image into a lost and dying world. And then there's got to be somebody to receive that image. So we need to be the image of God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, wherever we are, everybody we meet. And to think about being the image of God, the focus is on being, not doing. It's being who God created you to be, His image. And it has nothing to do with our situation in life. It has nothing to do with our occupation. It has nothing to do where we might be from one day after the next. It doesn't make any difference. Wherever God places you, you're to be His image everywhere you go so that the marketplace can see that image and it will affect their lives. And so that's, uh, that's the basic idea of what this next weekend is. It's more teaching involved than the first weekend, but it's trying to apply the things that are going to be learned throughout that weekend uh, in our daily walk with him. Let me let me hold on a minute. I want to interrupt you and tell you something. When you had the Lee renewal in my church in 1972, God sent a visiting couple that stayed with our home. We we housed a visiting couple. Uh, they were an elderly couple, and uh, I think it, I was trying to earn my salvation at that time. But Grandma and Grandpa came and stayed with us, and that's the first Christian couple we had ever had to stay with us. And I've tried through the years to explain. I said I don't know how to say it, but when you used to see pictures of Jesus, he'd have a halo behind him. You don't see that anymore. This couple had that halo. God just radiated from them. Love. I don't know how to explain that, but I've always said like they had the halo. But when uh, Rick was telling me about that, that's what I saw. I saw God's image in that couple. That, and I, I seen it in the love that they had for us and staying in their home and all that kind of thing. It, it, it was powerful. And I didn't realize what that was until I began to hear what he was explaining. That's what I saw. You know, Jesus is our example. And Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. And it was that combination for his ministry. Same way with us. We are the human part of the process. God is the divine part of the process. Sometimes we try to do God's role, and that's not what we're called to do. When it comes to what happens as a result of ministry, that's God's work, not our work. God is involved in that. That's, that's, what, that's what He does, not us. You know, uh, God needs to, he, he needs for people to, to see His presence, and we become the feet, the human aspect that brings that to those people. But it's God's work that's being done. God has called us into what I call a collaborative process. Um, you know, we use the Great Commission a lot in this weekend. And in the Great Commission, the verse before 
is an important verse because Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus is our general. Now, as a general, a general's got responsibility and he's got authority. He can delegate authority. He cannot delegate responsibility. Jesus has delegated his authority to us. So we have the authority to go in his name. But he's still responsible for the outcome. We aren't. We're just responsibility to be the authority that brings it. He still is responsible for the, for the outcome. Uh, you can delegate authority, but you can't delegate responsibility. And Jesus never has. The final product is his work, not our work. And uh, sometimes we fail to realize that. We get so confused with what the results are that uh, we fail to realize that that's God's work and not our work. But uh, um, then, of course, after that, there's, there's a, a power, empowering weekend, which deals with the power of prayer. And that's what these weekends are all about. These weekends don't start on Friday when the team shows up. They start when the prayer starts, which is weeks prior to that. And for weeks, the church is being praying for this weekend. The team members are being prayed, praying for the weekend. And on Friday night is a wonderful night because the two prayer groups get together for the first time. That's when the two prayer groups get together. We've been praying for the church. The church has been praying for the church. And now the two of us get together. Prayer is what it's all about. And that next weekend is all involved with the right kind of praying. Praying for the kingdom of God. It's kingdom of God praying. And so that's what the focus is on that next weekend. And then that brings us to the final weekend, which is taking a look at the what we used to call the X-18 weekend. I think now it's called the Sending Weekend. But it focuses on, on Acts 1 8. You know, where we start and, uh, you know, our, our Jerusalem, and then we, we start with our Judea, and then our Samaria, and then to the outermost parts of the earth. And how your church can get involved in every aspect of that by sponsoring different groups, spo- sponsoring local groups, st- sponsoring states group, uh, state groups, uh, sponsoring groups overseas, and how. How you as a church can get involved in that process of uh, of the Acts uh, uh, one eight and ascending weekend. In your folder, you have a, uh, a letter from uh, uh, Pastor Bob. Uh, he just had his Acts one eight weekend, and his churches went through all five of the weekends. And uh, uh, in the Acts one eight weekend, we asked the churches to get outside the walls of them and they adopt a church in their association, a church planner in their association. They decided, in fact, as they were checking with the Baptist Convention here and found out that there's different po- pockets of lostness. Have you seen that? Video? Well, they said rather than adopt a church in their area to work on the pocket of lostness, they said they're going to be the church. And if you read that, you'll see that they said we're going to we're going to take care of our community and go after the pockets of lostness. But they also adopted a church through the Baptist State Convention. Uh, that's through the church planning, the Baptist State Convention. They've already adopted a, a church there. Now, when I say adopt a church, you ask any church planner, "What do you need more than anything in the world?" And they'll tell you, "I need churches praying for me." So you adopted it in prayer. So they've already adopted a church in prayer that the convention is sponsoring. 
And we asked them also to adopt a church in the nation somewhere through the North American Mission Board because they had a church planning. And the third thing to do is adopt a unreached people group. Now, you don't have to go overseas anymore to reach an unreached people group. I think they told us there's 350 unreached people groups in North Carolina. They said you just got to go find where the groups are here. So they're in the process now. The pastor here said they're still working with the convention. We have a, a team up here that does, does that. It helps you find uh, the people groups where they're at. And they work through the International Mission Board of helping you find those places where you adopt those people groups. Uh, I think that's probably one of the greatest things in the world to think that we're going to be dealing with bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to a group of people that's never had that gospel brought to them. So the church is involved in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uh, ends of the earth. And that's kind of the journey. Two pastors came down today and here. They've been through the first the five weekends. They're already going to start on their second week. They're over again. They said because their whole church is new now. They got a bunch of new people in the church and said we need to start the whole journey again. Now, let me stop and ask you. You probably I know we got questions, and uh, and if you don't answer them, I've got I've got them on paper here. But uh, let me just ask you some questions. I'll ask you, what does it cost for a church renewal? Uh, a church to have a renewal. What is the cost for it? Feeding you guys. <laughs> no, you feed the whole church. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the meals. That's uh, that's the only cost. cost. Nothing on the cost besides time and preparation. Yeah. You used to have to buy the manuals and all that kind of stuff. Now everything is given to you. Like if you appointed a general church church person, we will send him copies of the manual that he can print out. We say print out uh, one copy to stay in the office, one copy to give to your general church person, and then another copy from uh, chapter 5 on down, which lists all the groups, right? So your general church person would have a list that he can hand out to the people that he's recruiting for the six groups. But that's that's the expense of the weekend. Nobody gets paid a dime. None of the visiting team, they come at their own expense. We will ask the church, says, uh, some of our people says, could you provide housing for me on Friday night and Saturday night? Uh, and and that's the people that came and stayed with me uh, that changed my life. I wouldn't do anything in the world. We adopted them as our grand, uh, grandparents, godfather, parents, uh, and us because they just meant so much to us. Uh, to tell you the story that uh, we kept kept up with him. He passed away, but she was in a home, and we used to go by and see her every now and then. I went by there one night, and she said, uh, you know I pray for you every Thursday. I said, no, ma'am, I don't know you do that. And this is way on past 1972. I mean, 1972. So I said, no, and she got up, and she went into her room. She brought back a spiral notebook. She flipped back pages. Here's Thursday. Here's where I prayed for you on Thursday. I could not believe that. But she had been praying for me all that my, my life through that. Uh, we went to Florida and we did a labor renewal down in Florida, right near uh, where she was She was being stayed at now. Her daughter was named Charlotte, and I called her daughter and said, we're down there. I said, I'd like to see your mom if I could. And she said, well, mom don't remember anybody, don't know me. Says, uh, I said, well, I'd still like to see her if you don't mind. So we went down to see her, and they rolled her out in a wheelchair. And her, mom, her daughter said, mom don't know me. She don't recognize me. You can't do any communications with her at all. They rolled out on a wheelchair, and I got down on my knees, and I said, Willie, I said, uh, do you remember Bob Foy, Lay Renewal? Oh, yeah. We had a 30-minute conversation there. Her daughter sat there crying like a baby. She said, Mom, you know, hadn't talked to her. But something triggered something in her mind, and we had the most awesome conversation as if though it was yesterday. And I said, uh, I said, uh, Willie, I got a book where I've got your testimony in that book. Would you like to see that? She said, yes, I would. So I went out to trip by my van, got one, brought it to her. 
we had an awesome talk. And when they rolled her back into her room, when we left and rolled her back in, her daughter said, that's the last mom I ever talked. But something triggered something in her mind. And, uh, and that was uh, being there. She, she used to go on renewals as a team member. And they came to my house. Now, I need to tell you something that happened at my house. This is just don't cost you anything, okay? My dad was abandoned by his mother, raised by his grandmother, who told him she'd get out of here as soon as you can. So nobody ever, he wasn't a Christian. Nobody ever showed talking about love to him. And I found out that we men carry over characteristics of our dads a lot of times into our marriage. And I had done it. I didn't know how to say the word I love you. And, and to my sons, I had two boys at the time the renewal came. And uh, on the Saturday of the renewal, right, this, this elderly couple was staying with us, um, I'd hit my kids on the arm like that and said, son, I love you. And, and they'd hit me back. That meant they loved me. Right? And so we had a way to doing that. But as they grow older, uh, the more you love, the harder you slug. We got to where we was knocking each other down. I mean, we were whopping each other. Well, my 12-year-old boy, when Willie uh, uh, was Dewey was coming down the hallway, he thought it was me, so he jumped behind his bedroom door. And when that old man got to the door, he jumped out and hit that guy as hard as he could hit him. Knocked him up against the wall, knocked the pictures off the wall as he fell down in the floor. And I come running in there trying to explain to him, that's the way we show love in our home. <laughs> that's where I was in my Christian life. I did not know. But because of that couple and their image of God uh, changed my life. And uh, uh, every time I go on a renewal, I, wait, I learn something new. I don't know how many times I hear him, I learn something new. And the idea is, how can we awaken our lay people to the fact that there is a joy beyond anything they can imagine when they say yes to the Holy Spirit? I may have told some of you my favorite verse in the Bible is uh, 1 Peter 4, 11. And it says in there, it says, are you called to serve? And that's my spiritual gift. It says, serve with all the energy God supplies. I served God for 23 years out of the, all the energy I supply. You ask any Baptist, if they know the word and the meaning of burnout, and they'll tell you yes, and we know that's trying to do God's work in your own energy. When you do, when you change it and say, Spirit, God, would you work through me and let your Holy Spirit accomplish your work through me, it makes all the difference in the world. And there's a joy to that that uh, I think every Christian needs to get that. Because uh, that's kind of the direction that we're going into. Don't so, get intimidated by all the all the different committees and everything. No, no. Sometimes that can be overwhelming. The whole purpose is to try to get as many people involved as possible in the church. And what's interesting is on the second weekend, they have all these groups that are getting involved. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will be at work and will put people in positions where they can use their spiritual gifts and they might even know what they are yet. But he'll have a way of putting and organizing the groups and putting the people where they need to be so they can uh, function the best. But uh, that's what that purpose is. And, you know, if they're, if they're smaller, smaller churches, uh, like, like, like uh, uh, Bob has said, uh, um, you know, I've, I've, been in, I've been in church, that, churches where, you know, there was 200 or plus there on Sunday mornings. And uh, I think the smallest church I've taught at was a church that I think we had 20 people uh, there on Friday morning, on Friday <coughs> evening. So, you know, si- size is not, not the important thing. And uh, uh, it, can, it can be tailored to what the size of your church is.
So one of my questions, uh, y'all, from y'all's experience, how do you get this, how do you get your lay people excited about this? I mean, like, okay, we want to do this, but how, how do you communicate that to your initial lay person? We originally used to go and sit down with a pastor, and then the pastor would communicate to the church. Most of the pastors didn't know what they were talking about either because they had never experienced renewal. So they didn't. In fact, is you've got a letter in your deal uh, from a pastor in um, uh, Monroe at Trinity Baptist. He had no idea what a renewal was, but his is a reply. He said, I knew what revivals used to do, but you all see that. Uh, but we had an awesome weekend at his. But the idea of it is, is uh, we could come and explain it to him. We can talk about it, and uh, if uh, if the pastor appoints a general chairperson, then we'll send him everything he needs. We got banners, uh, 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 how do you say, uh, posters, and everything that's on the website that we can send them to help promote it. You know, for the for publicity of it. Uh, so we can tell them what it is. Uh, usually, if the general chairperson that you pick has a, an idea, and by the way, one of the best ways to do it is if you appoint a general chairperson. Let him come with us on a weekend and experience it. Because I can tell you all day long, but you've got to experience it. And uh, we've had many, many people come and say, well, I'll come on Friday night, but I ain't coming Saturday morning. Well, you come on Friday night and see what the Holy Spirit's doing. You'll usually change, change your mind and come on the rest of it. But a lot of pastors say, how do I get my people excited to do this? Well, that's not your job. Let us come and get your people excited. Let us train your committees like that. Uh, and when we were at Randy's church... Uh, uh, I think when we did the first training, I think your your general chairperson was really wondering how in the world is this going to happen. Same thing you're asking, you know. We were all overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, overwhelmed. We were all these people. Yeah. But you don't have to worry about that. No. And and we've got the committees on something. Whereas a smaller church can combine a couple of the committees if they need. In fact, each one of the six groups has two of them. They can combine. So if the general chairperson would take one of the responsibilities, then you combine two of the others, then you only need one other person. Right? Uh, we've done this in Hispanic churches. Right? I can't speak a word of Spanish. But we got a, a church in South Carolina. We went down and we went to train the committees. I couldn't speak a word of English. They couldn't speak a word of I mean, uh, uh, Spanish. They couldn't. So we did it in tongues. Right? <laughs> I would say something to them, and we'd go back and forth 15 times. They'd say, okay, you got it? you understand? Yes, okay. Then we'd go. And I was really, I said, Lord, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Holy Spirit, he can speak in any language he wants to. <laughs> we had the most awesome weekend we've ever had. Friday night, Saturday night, we have a family prayer time. The pastor and his family was down praying over here, right? They were praying when most everybody else got through, and they all were coming back. And I, told, I went through the interpreter. We had an interpreter for the weekend. I said, tell them if the pastor's down here, rather than just talking among themselves, why don't they pray for the pastor while he's down here, right? His family's down here. Well, the interpreter interpreted that y'all need to come down here and pray for the pastors. That we didn't pray in for an hour. And the Hispanic people prays out loud. It's something new. It was me. Wow, man, this is a powerful prayer meeting. But the whole entire church came back down again and got with the pastor and prayed for another hour. But it was a powerful meeting. But what I'm saying is, is I don't know how it works. I can't explain it to you. God puts the team together. He's put the perfect team together on every church we've been to. It's, it's too many not it's, it's too many times it's perfect to just be accidental. Now we did have one lady named her name was Terry, and uh, she had asked for housing. They had put her in the. She thought she was a man, so they put her with a single guy. And uh, I told her I said we need to change that. And Terry said, "You told me that God puts the team together. You leave it alone." <laughs> 
<laughs> now, I want to tell you something else. On our third weekend at our church, usually we start off in the small groups. We'll, we'll have an, an icebreaker. We'll have a prayer and we'll have an icebreaker. And uh, I'm going to do this with uh, you, y'all three right there, okay? Uh, let, let's just say this is group one and we're in our small group in there, okay? First thing we do is have a prayer. All right, and then we'll ask an icebreaker and says, tell me your name, how long you've been a member of this church, okay? And something unique about yourself that nobody else knows, that church members don't know. Now, it don't have to be spiritual. It can be a ball game or a sport you played or a place you got to go or something like that. So tell me your name. Again, what church you're at? Something unique about yourself that they, we, we don't know. Um, well, I once entertained... Clint Eastwood on the golf course. All right. All right. I was playing, uh, never played before, 13 years old, playing with the other young guy who was equally bad in Sun Valley, Idaho. Teed off on a par three, mountain golf. Right before that, Clint Eastwood and his buddy pulled up. They saw my tee shot hit the rocks and just started cracking up. All right, Randy. Is that right? That's what Jesus was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, Bob. I'm Bob Scott. I'm uh, expert in church, and uh, I like to uh, take part in uh, community theater. Community what? Community theater. Oh, okay. It's a fun time of getting together, getting to know each other, cutting up with each other. Uh, the first weekend is not a Bible teaching thing. It's just getting unity. Uh, getting to, uh, we were at your church, and I think that's the most laughing we have ever done at your church. Just had a good time. And uh, uh, just getting to know each other, and, and that's what the first weekend is about. Uh, each weekend after that has teachings added to it. It's, it takes you a little bit different place. But how close are the weekends now? It, it depends on the church. A small church can do them six months. Like when you do a weekend, one of the spiritual growth group, one of the responsibilities is, is to create small groups that start after the weekend, right? We had a prayer weekend at our church here a year ago. And after the weekend, we ended up starting five small groups that met. Two of them met in homes and the other three met at the church, right? And they went from five groups. And when those, I think, 13 weeks was up, they started in with eight groups. Uh, Lifeway says they've done a survey with all the churches that are growing. It says the churches that have small groups are the ones that are growing because you get to know each other and your family right there. But a church can do it. A normal-sized church, and I say normal-sized, somewhere about 175 to 100 people, could probably do it once a year, right? Now, there's five weekends, but we're combining two of them most of the time, so that's just four, so you can do it a couple of years' time. But you don't have to do it every year. You can skip a year and do whatever works on the church schedule. <laughs> you don't sign up for five weeks. You sign up for one week. And after that weekend, the church decides, do we want to take the next step? So you do it at your, your, your schedule. Now, I'll tell you this. Hardest thing in the world we found out to do is get a date on the church schedule. So the spiritual growth group, one of the things they have, they have a subgroup called What's Next. And we ask him, go ahead and pick a date for the next weekend. We can always cut it out, change it, counsel it, or whatever, but get me a date that we can shoot for. You can create your own weekend if you want to, you know, but that'll get something on the church calendar that we're headed toward. If you wait until the weekend's over, then it's got to be another year or so out, you know, and uh, 
usually if you do it within a year and a half, you're right. If you go much more than two years, you lose the momentum of the first weekend. What I heard from Bob, it seemed like after we were done our first in uh, April, we thought we were starting to lose the momentum, so we went ahead and scheduled for our in November. And it can't, you couldn't get it fast enough. Yeah. Uh, well, it depends. It's a disciple and it's awakening, equipping, commissioning, empowering, and sending. So it depends on how quick the church wants to go through that. You know. And here again, uh, some, uh, most larger churches will do it once a year. Okay. I and you cannot compare weekends. No. Because no, no two of them are alike. Yeah. I mean. Any other questions? Thank you all for coming. And don't forget your stuff on the table.